The addition of Gary Quarles gives Southern a top-tier running back room. Oh yeah, it's locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked on HBCU podcast, your number one daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor and contributing writer at USA Today's Saints Wire. I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day on this here platform. And you already know, just because the mic cuts off does not mean that the journey is over. It just means it's time to follow me on Twitter at South Exclusive. Starts with an S and ends with an S. Today's episode will start with Gary Quarles elevating the Southern running back room. It'll end with a conversation about Seth Alexander. He'd be right there back in the state of Louisiana. Seth Alexander making Xavier history right there in the middle. This investigation into Eric Lewis absolutely does not concern the MEAC. There's no reason to be worried or even have any kind of hesitance around his hire now. But let's start with the opening statement. Let's start with the big-time topic, and that's Gary Quarles. His addition to the Southern Jaguars really does elevate this running back room to a top-tier potential running back room, right? Because you have three guys from last year and one guy in Gary Quarles who wasn't with Southern last year. They're all some really capable backs. Now, the former Alabama A&M running back is a two-time all-swag player. The year of 2021 was good to him, just like it was good to Alabama A&M in general, you know, because you look at Akil Glass, Swag player of the year, spring, fall. Like he, This was the year, the calendar year for Alabama A&M offense. And Gary Quarles was no different. But here's the thing. In 2022, it wasn't like he fell off a cliff. He just didn't perform as much because he did not play as much. He only played in four games. And I think that him missing time mixed with the rise of Donovan, Donovan Eaglin is the reason that he's out of Alabama A&M. Now, that also with the fact of how much time he spent in the program. Even the most dedicated everydayers might not remember this. This was so long ago. This is almost six months ago that we had this conversation with a really good friend of the show, family of the show, really, Mo Carter from Fox 54 in Huntsville. And I asked him about the exodus of Bulldogs players from the program. It just felt like a lot of people were leaving. And if you remember, and if you don't, that's okay. I'm going to remind you now because this, I don't even remember what episode this was in December. But he basically said, Mo basically said, they kind of want a fresh start with certain people who have been in the program for so long. They don't want to hold over a bunch of people with the COVID year. A lot of players are going to have extended tenures. And it just seemed like Coach Maynard did not want that. It's not an indictment on the player. It's not any way to saw They're not capable. But I would say having a running back like Eaglin, an all-swack running back in and of itself, in 2022, it made allowing Quarles to walk significantly easier. And I'm just assuming that's the case. 
But where was he going to land? Where was he going to land was a question that a lot of people wanted to know, and the answer is Southern. He ended up going to the Southern Jaguars, and now I want to read off to you what his, what the, not his, but what the Southern running back room looks like, and then also attach the yards per carry attached to that. So you have Carl Egan, 4.5, Gerard Sims, 5.7, Kendrick Rhymes, 4.6. That's three runners for Southern who are returning from last season who had over 4.5 yards per carry. You look at Gary Quarles, who in 2021, which was his last full season, so we're going to use that. He only played four games, and it wasn't the greatest of four games, but I don't know what it would have been had he continued to play, right? But I'm going to use his last full season, which was 2021. It just so happens that he was an all-swack, first-team all-swack running back in that fall season. He had 4.7 yards per carry. So now you bring in Legon, you're bringing in Sims, you're bringing in Rhymes, you're bringing in Quarles, all in the 2023 as running backs who have averaged over 4.5 yards per carry in the last time they've seen a real workload. Now, granted, I don't think you see an all-swack running back out of this quartet. I really don't. And it's not because of talent. You might have some all-swack talents. Heck, Gary Quarles is a former all-swack player, so I know for a fact that you have an all-swack talent. But I just don't think there's going to be enough carries to go around to where any one of these guys is going to be able to be the man as far as an all-swag runner. You're not going to have a Jarvie and Howard. You're not going to have a, a um, whom I'm bringing, I'm shooting a blank bat because Sevion Wilkerson was the other all-swag running back. That's who it was. And he left. But you're not going to have that type of guy. You're not going to have Donovan Eaglin. You're going to have a bunch of guys who are sharing the load, kind of like Texas Southern. They share the load. They're not going to have an all-swag running back lightly because there's going to be so many carries that are distributed around that you're just not going to have enough production to get that because everybody's going to eat. You bring in Quarles, he'll probably replace McCray's uh, production on the running game because McCray had over 100 carries. He had over five yards per carry. So, like, you aren't – yes, he's gone. But Sean McCray is gone. But now you're bringing in another running back. So it's not as if – those 100 some odd carries are not going to be split up where Legon gets 30, Sims gets 30, Rhymes gets 30. No, you're just going to be looking at Gary Quarles to get, I think it was like 117 rushing attempts that McCray had. So instead of splitting that out three ways to the rest of the runners, it's going to be probably giving Quarles, if not 117, more than that. He might end up being the runner who has the most carries. But here's the thing. It's not about having one guy. Who cares if you have an all-swack running back? Because you have a bunch of very efficient runners. You have a bunch of runners who are going to average four or more yards per carry. And that's just as valuable, if not more. Let's say that you have a Jarvie and Howard and Howard gets tired. What happens then? When you have a bell cow who, who has, not even going to say has, it's, if you have a bell cow who then gets tired, if he gets winded within the game, or maybe he's not feeling it that game, your running game is just going to suffer. But when you have four running backs that you have a lot of trust in, when you have four running backs that you think could be your lead back on any given day, if somebody gets tired, revolving is nothing. If somebody's feeling off and somebody else has it, that's not surprising. And rocking with the, with the hot hand isn't anything to really worry about. You have a lot of trust in four different runners, and for that reason— I don't care who you have as number one. When you have four running backs who have 4.5 yards per carry in their last full season, there's no way you can't tell me that Southern isn't a top-tier running back room. Rank them where you want. They're in tier one. And going forward, 
Let's switch over to the MIAC because Eric Lewis is being investigated by the NBA. Let's break down who Eric Lewis is, his connection to the MIAC, and then also why this investigation to me is kind of stupid, but it really does not affect the MIAC in the slightest. As we continue with Locked on HBCU, I'll explain all of that. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the number one, numero uno, protein bar on the market, bar none. I don't care who you compare them to. They all pale in comparison to Built Bar. You can put a bunch of the same flavors on the table. Built Bar in a blind taste test will be the one that comes out victorious. They're the best for you. They taste the best for you, right? Imagine your favorite candy bar and the feeling that that gets from you. Then imagine your favorite protein bar that's not named Built Bar because I know that that's your favorite protein bar. But think of another one that you've had and how effective and how good that made you feel when you're going to work out. Now imagine I put those two together, those two feelings, the feeling of, oh my gosh, this is delicious. And the feeling with I can run through a brick wall. I can go lift 500 pounds on a bench. Imagine those two things met. That's what we call Built Bar. That's what we call Built Bar, high in protein, low in fat, low in sugars, absolutely delicious with a multitude of flavors so everybody has something to pick. And then also, they're just good for you. So go to Built.com slash locked on and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your offer. And as we continue rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, thank you for making us your first listen of the day every day. On tomorrow, ep, tomorrow's episode, excuse me, we'll be diving into Coach Maynard out of Alabama A&M and his Hall of Fame recognition. Let's dive into that. I can't wait till tomorrow. So until tomorrow, though, Eric Lewis. The investigation into Eric Lewis should not concern the MEAC at all. I mean, not even in the slightest. Let's set the scene, because I think for many people, you might not know who Eric Lewis is. I think Eric Lewis was supposed to be a very important person, but he's he's a referee, and he's going to be over referees in the MEAC. That's not really a job that many people care about until they care about it, and when they're announced as a hire, most times you don't. But let's really break down who he is. He's a former NBA ref who was in the NBA for 19 years. So he's a 19-year NBA veteran when it comes to officiating games. And now his relation to the MEAC is he's going to be, I want to get the title correct, he's going to be the men's coordinator of officials in men's basketball. So basically he's just going to be going, he's going to be over all of the officials in the MEAC for men's basketball. I think the idea of him bringing in is to probably get a more pro-styled officiating, probably get players a little bit more used to how games are called in the NBA, get refs more accustomed to how things go in the NBA, get them to have more opportunities because we always don't we don't always look at the referee representation, but that's there as well. So I think he was supposed to be an important figure. And now you hear he's in a scandal, you hear he's in an investigation, it might worry you. So the investigation to me really it isn't necessary. The investigation to me is really just a bunch of nothing. However, this is the investigation. So there was a burner account on Twitter. And a burner account is basically a name list Twitter or a Twitter that's not in your name. You act like it's not you. But then he got caught with the burner. And many people believe that this burner is registered to him. And the NBA is investigating. The MEAC isn't investigating. So the MEAC might already 
officials, right, might already not be worried. But I'm not really pleading to the officials. If you are a MEAC official, follow me on Twitter at South Exclusive. DM me. Tweet me. Come on the show. Right? But right now, for the most part, I'm speaking to the MEAC fans. I'm speaking to fans of South Carolina State, Maryland Eastern Shore, North Norfolk, Howard. Like, I'm speaking to you. Because there's no reason to be worried about this guy who's newly been uh, affiliated with your conference being in an investigation. His burner, he's not doing anything crazy. I don't really even know what they're, they're investigating him for. Like, I don't know what he could possibly have done outside of corruption. And I've seen the tweets. They don't look like corruption. But outside of corruption, I can't think of anything that they would just say, oh, this guy did this wrong. I don't think so. So for that being the case, now if it does come out that he's rigging games or or he had a, a predisposition against certain teams and now you're now you're picking at his character. If you can get some things like that out of him that are connected to this burner account that has been deleted but is still going to be probably cycled through and seen what he, what that what that account was tweeting. If those things come out, move away. If those things come out, you should be concerned. And you should distance yourself from Eric Lewis, no matter what you thought his association with the NBA was going to do for your game. Once he seems corrupt, you need to move away. But like I said, I've seen the tweets. I don't think it's going to be that. Those tweets are defending himself. His tweets are the equivalent of me coming on the Twitter, having a burner account, and defending Locked On, the network, and defending Locked On HBCU but not putting my name on it. That's what that's all a burner is. There's a certain stigma around having a burner account that is cowardly. And okay, maybe there's a tad bit of validity to that. But I think that there's also, depending on your situation, some people have a burner because you can't say what you want to say under your real name. You just can't say it. You have too much to lose. And I think that Eric Lewis, the referee going on Twitter and responding to every single user, no, that's a foul. That's a foul. Eric Lewis, why are you mad at him? That's not even true. There was one guy who's like, they're 0 and 82 when Eric Lewis officiates a game. And the guy was like, in the burner account that people think is Lewis, that's not even remotely true. Like, Eric Lewis doing that looks a little goofy. Like, yeah, he got caught, so it looks goofy anyway. But the idea is to not get caught. You know, because it just looks bad. People have this stigma like, oh, you man, put your name on it. Put your face on it. Why you couldn't just say it publicly? Because he, he might just have more to lose. And it's just like, that's not a good public image. The be going back and forth with everybody on Twitter, but sometimes you just got stuff you want to say. Sometimes you just got stuff you want to get off your chest, and I can't do it as Eric Lewis, so you know what I'm going to do it as? This little burner account that I came up with, but where he went wrong is he followed his wife's basketball program. Come on, Lewis. You can't have a burner account with any connections to you. Oh, man, that wasn't me. I don't know why he was following my wife's, my wife's basketball program. That ain't it. That ain't Eric. Come on, man. You got to have some plausible deniability. That was you. But like I said, these things aren't these things aren't serious. He was up there defending himself, defending referees. These are I'm, I'm not going to try to spin this into a positive, but I really don't see it as a negative. Like, yeah, he got caught. Might be a little stain on how people look at him. They might look at him funny now. But that's about the extent of how far this will go and probably should go unless some other information is uncovered. If it's just him defending himself and defending other referees and just defending what's a call and not, and really, I've seen multiple arguments from him where he's fighting the idea of the NBA being rigged. <laughs> like, 
This dude is not doing anything really wrong. You might just look at him sideways. That's it. That's it. And if you're going to look at him sideways, you're going to be looking sideways at the MEAC coordinator of men's basketball officiating. Because I ain't getting rid of him just because he had a burner, especially if I don't feel like he did anything wrong. So in my honest opinion, Eric Lewis, you had a burner, you got caught, that's tough, you'll probably get another one, be smarter with this one, but I'm still welcoming you into the MEAC with open arms, because all in all, you ain't do nothing really that bad. Now going forward, forget being that bad, let's talk about somebody who was that good, and I'm talking about Seth Alexander, because he is the first, yes, the first ever track and field national champion from Xavier University. As we wrap up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, thank you for making us your first listen of the day, every day, making it all the way to segment three. I thank you two times for that. I truly do appreciate it. Now, Xavier finally has their first ever track and field national champion in any sport. And Seth Alexander had himself a very important day for not only himself, but then also for Xavier. When you look at Xavier, and it's not like, okay, what happened? Alexander was the triple jump champion, national champion in the NAIA ranks. That's a big thing. That's a big deal. But that's not even the full extent of why it's so important. Just, just stating the facts of what he did isn't enough to illustrate the importance and why we should be placing, placing this, this accomplishment on a pedestal. That's not enough for me. Those are just the basic facts. Those are just the basic facts. He, sca- he scored 10 points for the team and team scoring. Those are basic facts that are irrefutable, but it's not enough to really drive home why this is such a big deal. You might hear national champion and say, oh, that's great. That's huge. But let's dive a little bit deeper because to win this triple jump, he had to jump 15.39 meters, which translates because we're in America, right? We, we, we use, we use, we don't use meters. We use feet. We use yards, right? But let's go into feet. 15 meters, 50 inches, or excuse me, 50 inches. America, right? School systems. Um, but 50 feet and six inches. So he had a great day. There was no other jumper who even got close. No other person jumping in the event made it to 50 feet, let alone 50.3. You know, none, like nobody got there. So he really watched them. It was 0.2 meters if you want to keep it to, the, to that system. You're looking at a, a, a world, world record, a school record, number one. But then he also broke his school record from just a month ago of 50 feet in two and three-fourths inches. So now he has the two best triple jumps in Xavier's school history. And like I said, he had 10 points for that. Well, Xavier ended with 20 points. And with those 20 points, they ended 14. Now, I know a lot of people might scoff and say, oh, 14, that's, that's nothing. This 14th ain't normal 14th. There was 57 teams involved, 57 schools involved. So you're in the top quarter of that, of that event. That's pretty good. Like, it's not dominating. I won't tell you that 14th is dominating, but I'll tell you it's a lot better than most 14ths are going to sound. When you hear most 14ths, you probably think, like, oh, 14th place, uh, okay, 
That's pretty solid, I guess. That's more than pretty solid. Okay, now all that being said, this is the best that Xavier has ever done in their history. And a large percentage of that is thanks to Seth Alexander. Of course, you have other people like in the third place in the triple jump was another Xavier athlete. So it's a team drill. It's a team, it's a, you know, I said, like I said on yesterday's episode, track and field, an individual team sport. But man, you can't help but look at Seth Alexander. I know it's a conglomerate of people who got to 20, but when 10 of the 20 points come from one guy, it's an impressive day. 10 of those 20 points really led your team, really was the, the spear that led your team, led your school to their best finish in school history. You are the first track and field national champion of any event, not just, tra- not just triple jump, but of any event, shot put, 400, 100, 200 meter hurdles, four by four by 100, all of that. He is the first national champion in Xavier's school history. You had your personal record. You beat your personal record before that, right? Because you just set a personal record, but you were the holder prior to that. And you're only a junior. So there's still room for you to grow. There's still room for you to get better. There's still room for you to be the top three triple jump numbers. Two, three, uh, Top three triple jump. That's a tongue twister. The top three twi- There's still time for you in your senior year to become the top three triple jump performances in Xavier school history. Sometimes you just got to slow it down. Sometimes you just got to slow it down. It ain't always it ain't always right to go fast. Sometimes you got to slow it down. But <laughs> all right, we're going to end on that note. We're going to end on that. That is a top three tongue twister triple jump performances ever on Locked On. HBCU, truly, I do appreciate you. <laughs> I do appreciate you, man. Shout out to Seth Alexander for really a legendary day and still have a room to grow. NAIA champion, shout out to you. Just like a shout out to you, the listener, for making us your first listen of the day every day. I really do appreciate it, for real. On tomorrow's episode, we'll be diving into Coach Maynard and his Hall of Fame career. So you just have to tune in tomorrow for that. In the meantime, in between time, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at South Exclusives. Until the next time that we hear each other, family. Take care. Stay blessed. Peace. Top three triple jump performances in Xavier history. Come on now. <laughs>